0: again and welcome to another edition of Mastermind Minutes. My name is Gary Grosso. I'm the founder of Franchise Growth Solutions and the publisher of FranchiseMoneyMaker.com. For those of you who are new to the program, Mastermind Minutes is a very simple concept. We typically have one guest we ask one question and we get one expert answer we always attempt to do it in minutes not hours so that you can get on with your busy day and uh, obviously refer back to the program or we will give you contact information of our guest, and you can reach out to them and uh they will give you more insight onto the topic that we discuss and today uh, my guest is is my friend and longtime associate Michael Einbinder, who is the founding partner of Einbinder and Dunn. Uh, He is a participating member of the American Bar Association Forum on Franchising, as well as a member of the International Franchise Association. He's a published author and frequent speaker on franchise issues at events, uh, which are hosted by the American Bar Association, among other organizations. And he's been selected as one of the best attorneys in franchising by his peers in conjunction with uh, magazines and the board of uh, Franchise Times. Uh, And this has been going on for years, like back to 2004 or 3 or 5. He's also recognized by Who's Who Legal as being among the world's leading franchise lawyers. And uh, I guess just to sort of round that out, um, we typically talk about franchising, and that is a focus of Michael's practice. But there are many other areas and disciplines in law that his practice is, that his practice is engaged in that he can tell us about. And Michael, thank you very much for being with us today. I realize that was sort of a compressed introduction. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, and what you've been doing, and a little bit about the firm?
1: Uh, good morning, Gary. Thank you. Uh, my firm is Einbinder and Dunn. We have been representing franchisors and franchisees. For more than 25 years, um, as Gary said, I'm a member of a number of organizations that um, that are involved in the franchise uh, in the franchise world. Some of them are legal organizations, some of them are more business-oriented organizations. But we have a, a, a great deal of information and knowledge about the franchise law uh, field, as well as the uh, the operation of franchise businesses, and represent many franchisors in in many different businesses. Um, throughout the country. A lot of our clients are food-based franchise, restaurant-based franchise, or as we represent clients who are involved in child care, optical businesses, B2B types of businesses, uh, kids' sports. Um, you know, the, the industries that we're involved in are, are really unlimited. The franchising, is, as Gary knows, a wide berth of uh, different types of industries that touch on, on franchising um, in one way or another. Uh, we also represent franchisees, typically um, multi-unit and sometimes multi-concept franchisees who are involved in more than one franchise business. A lot of that is in the restaurant space, but we do that in other in other uh, areas as well. um and and just recently, um, I attended an American Bar Association event uh, called the Forum on Franchising, which is a yearly event interrupted only by the pandemic, um, but which is, well, which did it virtually in the pandemic in two thousand and twenty. But it's a great program that involves um, speakers on a wide variety of franchise-related law issues and where, um, at this stage of my career, I'm still able to get new information and and bring that to bear on what we do for our franchise clients. Um, I I am a speaker at those kinds of events. My partner spoke um, last month in the event that we had in San Diego. And and we, as I said, have a great deal of experience in this area. As Gary said, just to finish it out, we do a lot of other work, real estate related work, uh, commercial business litigation, and transactions of all kinds.
0: And 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 thank you for filling in a lot of the blanks that I left there. I guess, you know, one of the things or the topic for today really is about things that franchisors should be aware of, whether they are just sort of in the in the thinking about or talking stage or some things that are going on in New York right now, or some things that are maybe a little bit further along down the pipeline, and then... Just things that franchisors should be on top of when you know, as we come into renewal time. You know, we're recording this here in mid-November, so within the next couple of months, franchisors are going to be sort of scrambling around, <laughs> making sure they get their their renewals in. But, but Michael, maybe you can sort of walk us through first maybe some things that are being talked about, uh, and, and I think they're only on a state level. But we do have a lot of our clients are in New York, uh, and then we can kind of move on to a, a broader question.
1: Sure, um, you know the timing on of this um, this program is actually pretty good for what we're thinking about these days. We are getting into, as Gary said, the renewal season, and typically we like to send a letter out to our franchise or our clients ab- um, about this time of year, sometime certainly before the end of the year, but typically we like to do it in the middle of the month. Actually, have a scheduled meeting tomorrow with our franchise group to decide what that letter is going to look like. Um, which talks about what are you, what are we thinking about in terms of what you have to think about as you renew your franchise agreement for next year? As Gary knows, and as many of you in the franchise business know, um, franchise disclosure documents are um, are renewed every year. Typically, they're renewed in the first quarter. Uh, by the end of the first quarter, they should be renewed. If your fiscal year ends um, at the end of the year, you have to um, renew your franchise disclosure document and re-register by the end of April in order to be able to sell franchises or at least start the process of of renewal by that point in time. So We start thinking about gathering information from our clients about changes in their business, about, um, about the number of units they have, about financial statements that we need to get, about how many sales they've made um, any litigation they've been involved in and so on, because all of those things are critical to the preparation of renewal franchise disclosure document. Um, at the same time as we're asking them for information, we're giving them information to think about in terms of changes in the law um, or changes in the dynamics of franchising that might affect what their legal documents and way of doing business is coming into the next calendar year or uh, the start of the selling franchise selling franchises next year so i, I want to address uh, a few things that we're going to be reminding our clients about there are, you know a number of other things that we'll be talking about down the line with clients we're still working on putting that list of things together but the things that come to mind at least on a on a federal level on a on an FDD level that's not limited to our clients who are selling or operating only in new york uh, we tell all of, our na- all of our clients nationwide is that there is a change landscape in a, tu- a couple of different areas of law that affect franchising significantly. And two of those are um, are related to non-competes, um, and, and the employer, or joint liability employer, um, regulations that have been in flux for a number of years. So starting with the second thing first, um, some franchisors may remember, and, and people in the industry know, that, um, that there has been for several years um, an issue regarding whether or not franchisors are going to be held responsible for the activities of their franchisees. Um, and one of the bases for holding franchisors liable for the actions of their franchisees is what's called the joint employer doctrine. And under that doctrine, a franchise or can be deemed to be the employer of franchisees employees, so that, for example, the franchise or uh, may be responsible for um, employment discrimination issues when the franchisee is engaged in that kind of conduct. Franchise or may be responsible uh, for unemployment-related issues, for for harassment claims, for uh, the for issues regarding fair labor standards, so a payment, um, a, you know, paying franchisees minimum wage, paying franchisees overtime, franchisees employees overtime at minimum wage. These are issues that are concerned to franchisees and should be. And there are uh, ways to try and avoid liability that we can talk about, but just give you a legislative uh, or the rule based. Uh, issues concerning this it's really a labor department issue and a national labor relations Board issue so during the uh, the Obama administration starting in about 2013 14 maybe 15 I'm not sure there was a rule change where uh, there was a case of the NLRB involving McDonald's the National Labor Relations Board about McDonald's but also other other issues were raised in litigation and in um, in re- in the regulatory scheme where a franchisor was going to be deemed to be an employer um, of the franchisee's employees right, uh, under certain circumstances. That rule was changed during the last administration, um, and, and this was a non issue for a number of years. And it's an issue again starting in earlier this year. Uh, the Labor Department or our National Labor Relations Board started, uh, started addressing this issue again in a way that raise the prospect the specter of of franchisors being held responsible for um franchise or franchise franchisee relations with employees mm-hmm. and this is a, a significant concern because you really franchisors shouldn't and don't generally control what their franchisees right. do with their employees yeah um, yep. and the way to the way to really to address it the best way to address it legally it is to stay out of it. Um, you know, to make sure that that your franchisees know that it is their responsibility. That it's documented That it's their responsibility to uh, to hire people to uh, address employee issues. That franchisors aren't involved in it. Because the more control yeah. a franchisor has over that process, the more likely the franchisor is. To yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. You're. You know. You're 100% right, Michael. And and that's just one one issue that franchisors need to be aware of. Uh, and, and again, it was sort of on again, off again. And I remember that that case back in 15. There's some other things now that are bubbling up about um, um, agreements that, you know, uh, no poach agreements where, you know, franchisees can't hire employees from the company or what have you. But, but I don't want to go down that road. But I do want to say that on that joint employer Uh, or co-employer, you know, our company writes operations manuals. That's a big chunk of what we do. And and while we always suggest that our client, the franchisor, have their manuals reviewed by their legal counsel, one of the things that we now have them sign off on is that at the very least, any any, um, direction, guidance, anything that's in an operations manual that has to do with HR, or how you schedule employees or what your, you know, your cost of labor should be that all of that stuff should be reviewed, you know, by their attorney, so that you know, that they're not sort of stepping over that line and that and that's, and that is a big issue right now I personally I don't understand it to me it's very clear you know, disconnect. But I understand, um, you know, if the uh, if the labor board wants to somehow connect
1: it, that's, you know, I guess that's their goal. Um, Just to to that point, I I think that what you're doing is absolutely right. And that's, that's the thing that we try and address with our clients is make sure they stay out of the franchisees business in that respect. Uh, We're about brands and systems, but not about HR. And and make sure that that's documented so that you can hold that up and say I didn't tell them what to do they didn't ask me what to do that's not my job that's their job and that's yeah. the best way to stay out of it
0: yeah and you know the I'll tell you the unfortunate piece to it um, when it first reared its ugly head uh, many franchisors uh, were simply eliminating guidance on. Um, hiring and who to hire, how many people you would need to run a shift, which are purely operational issues, because they didn't want any connection until sort of the dust settled down. And then they said, okay, well, we can supply this guidance and this guidance. One of the things that we always recommend to our franchise or clients is that their franchisees also become very familiar with like going to whatever the state labor website is and really understanding like what it is and to discuss that with their attorney so the, so that's one sort of not change but that's one thing we should be aware of what are what are some of the other things that are either being talked about or changes that we should be uh, aware of that might be coming down the pike or that are simply being sort of talked about? Because eventually, if they're being talked about, um, if we have some zealot politicians, you know, eventually they be, they come to fruition. And the, the longer runway we as franchisors have, the better we can be prepared to deal with it.
1: Well, yeah, on a national level, um, what we're seeing is a, a number of changes in laws and regulations and sort of a thrust in the direction of making it harder to enforce uh, non-com- non-compete agreements with franchisees. Oh. So, you know, in most of the time that I've been practicing um, in this field, the issue of whether or not a franchise or could stop a franchisee from staying in the same business that they were in, but just taking the name off the store, a restaurant business that turns from a branded pizzeria to an unbranded pizzeria. Um, or non-franchise branded pizzeria it was something that we could easily stop as a franchisor. And in cases where I've represented franchisors, we've done that quite a number of times. And we've done it even when the franchisee has transferred a business to a family member or where a family member started a very, very similar business you know, in another borough in Manhattan. And we have a case against the franchisee who um, whose husband started the same restaurant in um, in in Queens, outside of Manhattan, you know, just over the bridge from Manhattan, where the franchisee was located, and they were operating basically using exactly the same um, systems as our client, um, and down to using menu pictures from my client's menu, claiming they just happened to have those pictures on them. You know, they were able to use them, even though my client had taken the pizza pictures 25 years ago. In any event, what happened in that case? We were able to stop them because the non-compete was fully enforceable. What's going on now is that some states are issuing regulations, Colorado, Illinois uh, are two of them, that are undercutting the enforceability of non-competes um, and, and creating you know, uh, some risk that franchisees will be able to continue an, op- continue an operation using all the trade secrets and other information that the franchise or conveyed and the goodwill generated at the franchisee's location from the franchise brand and set up an independent shop that really undercuts the purpose of fair franchising in the first place, that creates a, a hole in the market for franchisees, uh, for franchisors to sell into the market because I can't sell if you're selling the same pizza, but a different name, I can't sell another franchise there. And those are risks that have been always there in franchising, but the, the regulatory and legal framework is changing. Um, and that that's partly uh, something that has come up in the in the current presidential administration um, that that's sort of geared towards opening up competition in more of a, in, a, in a way that's probably beneficial generally in the economy but creates some turmoil in the franchise field that uh, Gary and I are are spending a lot of our time in. Um, and so you know what we're trying to figure out and um, what we're trying to address at least is protections that franchise wars can achieve, that aren't non-compete protections, but serve the same goal. What can you do in your franchise documents? What should you make stronger in your franchise documents so that a franchisee um, will not be able to unfairly compete against the franchise or, and it's not only that a franchisee not compete against the franchise or affect the sale of franchises. It's also, there are other people who are adhering to the brand that are just in the next city or town or county that are now finding out that, well, we can just change our name and be independent, or we don't want this independent guy to hurt our business. And so, you know, it, it's beneficial to a franchise system as a whole, oftentimes to, to be able to enforce some of those protections. So some of the things that we're talking about with clients and, and uh, that we recommend to our clients, and we'll put strength in our franchise agreements as protections for trade secrets, uh, for, um, You know, making sure that the franchisee can't use, for example, the same recipe, but just change the name, Um, that franchise or franchise, former franchisees, um, you know, can't use the same marketing approach that we used, uh, what they used when they were franchisees, that franchisees and another another account can't use the same phone number uh, and make sure that we have the right to get that phone number in a strengthened way, because that used to be a very simple thing to do and is somewhat more complicated now. More documents are necessary uh, for franchisors to be able to get the franchisee's local number. And this is especially important in a world where so much food is ordered for delivery if you're in the restaurant industry. So we want to be able to protect that phone number. And a whole whole host of other things that we're looking at in our franchise agreements to strengthen the ability to impede unfair competition against the brands by means other than non-competes. Right. Yep. Yep. Including well, requirements to have the franchisee sell equipment back on termination or or um, expiration of franchise. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's it's amazing. So uh, before I ask you for your last thoughts on the topic of sort of things that franchise wars should be focused on, whether they're changes or just things that need to be looked at at renewal, uh, I just want to say that, you know, to the audience in general, we talk very often about things that are out there you know, sort of protection for the franchisees. Hey, if you're buying a franchise, this is what you should look out for. And sometimes there are some people out there that make the franchisors out to be, you know, the big bad wolf. Well, I just, you know, based on what Michael just, what you just heard Michael say and what I've experienced and what he's experienced is that it's a two-way street. Sometimes the franchisee can be the big bad wolf. Sometimes it's the franchisee that's taking advantage of the franchisor. So when you are looking to franchise your business, um, what you want to make sure is you have somebody like Michael who is going to really dig down into the details and understand what protections a franchisor should have, as, as well as a franchisee, but what protections a franchisor should have, because there's risk on both sides. Uh, And I've often told folks on the franchisee side that their risk is money. And on the franchisor side, sometimes their risk is their reputation and their business model. And they may have spent 20 years developing that, and a franchisee comes along, and in a matter of a few years, destroys it or damages it. So let's just always be considerate that there's risk on on both sides. Um, Now that I'm done preaching, uh, Michael, what last word would you want to leave us with as we come up to renewal? Um, You know, what should people be thinking about Uh, getting stuff in order so that you know the transit, not the transition, but that the renewal is sort of seamless, and they don't go dark in states where they're where they're registered or
1: have to register that sort of a thing. Gary, okay. there are a number of things that we look at, and again, we're we're kind of formulating a plan for 2023 as we speak. Um, I, I think the the news of the day may be that sooner getting getting started sooner and gathering your, gathering your information sooner and getting it ready for the lawyer sooner and going to your accountant sooner is really critical and and the reason it's always important um, but the reasons are the reasons are becoming more of an there are more issues now than there ever have been in terms of how long it takes to get documents registered there's just been a, a time more of a time lag recently in, in registrations uh, that we've experienced um, for a number of reasons and 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 the answer is it's taking longer than it used to uh, before. And so if it takes longer, you have to get started sooner. Otherwise, you're going to have dark periods. Yep. And so we're trying to get out our information and documentation to clients. You know, we, we send out these letters in November and sometimes our clients don't even think about it until January 30th and then say, why can't my FDD be, you know, filed now? Whatever. And, and pr- part of that is an accounting issue because it takes time to do the audits when they're necessary. Uh, part of it is that the client doesn't really focus on it or the franchise doesn't really focus on it. They're in business. Sometimes they're busy side, you know, busy part of the year is 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 Christmas time. You know, and so they're 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 focusing on business. And I think they have to always focus on business, but they have to set a little time aside to to address the issues that are raised by counsel.
0: Yep. And and if you're in the franchising business, then this is part of your business. Uh, not just you know running your restaurant so to speak if you're a restaurant company you know we we preach and teach that you know the first week in january you should have gathered if you're a franchisee or you should have gathered most if not all of the information that you're going to need to turn over to your to your accountant to do the audit because that is the big piece. Because many franchisors, as you know, they don't have a lot of changes in their documents. Obviously, item 20, number of stores open closed, item 19 is changed. They may have some updates to item seven or some of the other things. But generally speaking, the logjam is waiting for the audit and it's usually not the accountant's fault. It's usually because they've gotten materials in mid-March, and now they're expected to turn this thing around by, I think, April 30th is the deadline. I think it's 120 days or something like that, whatever. Um, My other advice to clients is when you set up your entity, change your fiscal year to end somewhere other than December 31st, because the majority of folks are there. So I always envision there's an examiner, say like in the state of New York, sitting with like a stack of FDDs on his or her desk, because everybody filed at the same time. Meanwhile, if it were, I don't know, October, because you close your year at the end of August, or whatever the timeline would be, you know, that examiner maybe is twiddling their thumbs, because they don't have a lot of FDDs. Uh, to review because my understanding is they don't go out and hire additional people to do this work simply because it's
1: renewal season you just wait in line um so uh, i think I that's know. great advice gary I, yeah. you know we, we've had conversations with clients and we're actually finishing some fdds now the question comes up as to whether or not we should even file uh, if we do an october 31st year end Then it makes sense otherwise we're going to file and you know, we can get registered for 2022 and it's gonna be, you know. Oh, it's it's over in four months. Yeah. No, months. I, I, right. I I'm with you. So, so did, um can I just add one thing to the show? Sure, day? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something Go ahead. We, we've seen in a couple of instances, um, which is that um is that there some clients have really complicated financials and um, and, and sometimes that's the result of, of the structure of their businesses. So as an example, um, a franchisor who runs company-owned stores as well as the franchise business through one entity it, or real estate through the same entity as the franchise business is going to have a much more complicated financial statement than, than a company that's Revenue is, is based solely on getting royalty payments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if your companies are not set up the right way or structured the right way from the get-go, um, then you should think about reorganizing them. It may, be, you know, it, it may be something you need to do in the next three weeks, but uh, next, I guess, five and a half weeks. But I, I, I think the goal is to simplify the process of audits because that's often the lag. Um, and, and even if you get it, I'm, I'm not blaming accountants at all. I mean, I, I think like all of us, all, all professionals in this field, the clients aren't focused on getting us the information we need because the clients just don't have it ready yet. And I'm not blaming them either. But get it, Try and get it ready as soon as you can. The accountants will get it done as soon as they can. But if you can make the, the financials less complicated, get make them less complicated. Yeah. And and OK, so here's here's
0: where I'll leave this then. So Michael just teased us here at the end. Uh, that sounds like there's a lot more to that. So, Michael, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way? Is it a website, um, email? Like, what's the best way? Because I'm sure you just tossed you just tossed a grenade into the room, so <laughs> people are going to want to know
1: more about that and about about structure. So, how can someone reach you? Sure, um, I can be reached at email at me at ed-lawfirm dot com or our website generally is ed-lawfirm.com. Um, but there's information about our practice on the website. There's a contact form for you to reach out to me. And if you just send me an email, I'll get back to you quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's me at ed firm. Also, there is a phone that people can call. We actually get phone calls sometimes. Um, and that is 212-391-9500.
0: Great. And we will put uh, all the contact information sort of in the, you know, in the bio of the webcast and uh, when you, see it on spotify it'll all be there so if any of you didn't run around and get something to write that down but don't worry about it uh you'll see it when 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 this is broadcast michael thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it a lot of things franchisors uh need to be thinking about this time of year Um, uh, they need good legal counsel um and certainly einbinder and dunn is you know one of the places they should be going for that uh again you you focus on a full array of services. So it's not limited strictly to writing franchise agreements or FDDs. Right. I think that's uh, that's a plus because you can be considered a, you know, a one-stop shop for the lot. I don't want to minimize it, but but I think for a lot of people, that's, uh, that's a good place to be. So thank you very much for your time and I hope to see you soon. You're welcome. Thank you, Gary.